are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. I just kind of want to ride that wave and the wave Steve was catching there for a second. My heart was going in the same vein and there were several of us out with COVID last week. Some of us are still online battling COVID. Um, And, you know, there's only one reason we engage the devil. And it is to plunder hell. That one of our birthrights is to plunder the thief. And I am so excited David and Tracy are here this morning. They had a severe case of COVID, like go to the bottom of hell where evil itself is looking to destroy humanity because every every source of evil on the earth comes from the devourer. He, he, he has one agenda, one nature, and it's to steal, kill, and destroy. So any place we see the loss of anything has the fingerprints of the devil. And they're, they're here this morning. Um, our youth pastors, some of my most dear friends, uh, as a prophetic sign for us that we win. <laughs> We win, we win. And we see all throughout scripture, this echo, I win, I win, I win, I win. The only way the kingdom makes sense on the earth in this hour of history is if we're living from heaven. If, you know, Jesus said, don't live like your treasure is here on the earth. It can be stolen. Moth can come in and ruin it. Live like your greatest treasure. The reason you breathe is in heaven. Because Revelation says there's, there's two attributes of those who overcome. They held the word of the testimony. They knew what Jesus is like. And they did not love their life unto death. You cannot defeat a people who are not afraid to die. And, you know, one of my favorite stories in uh, history that I first heard Bill Johnson tell the story was there were two camps of uh, enemies that had gathered. One was on this side. One was on this side. And um, they met in the middle and each one was looking for the other just to surrender. And one of the generals looked at one of his men in the camp and said, go run off that cliff. And without a single hesitation, he gave his life for his people. And a holy fear entered the other camp and they surrendered on the spot because you cannot compete with a people who are not afraid to die. And right now we're we're in a moment where... Uh, There are literal, our people, the persecuted church, they are giving up their babies in the name of Yeshua. That if they speak his name, their babies lose their life. 
and they're doing it with a love and a purity in their heart. That is astonishing. And it is reaping an eternal reward that is profound. And we, we hold them close to our heart in the way that we live. And we look for our opportunities in our moment. Where can I trust him without reservation? Where can I lay down something that costs me? Where can I move all my treasure to be in heaven and live like a shield about the persecuted church? That says, I know the same king you know. And all throughout scripture, we see heroes of the faith have one agenda when it came to the devil. And it was to plunder what he's stolen from humanity. You know, when we look at Gideon, he, he was afraid to do what he was called to do on the earth because he thought he was going to die. <laughs> and without God, he was going to die. And you know what? The Lord encouraged him. The Lord said, go into the enemy's camp. Listen to what they're saying. And he went into the enemy's camp and found out that they were afraid of Gideon. Gideon was afraid of the enemy. And what happened was the Lord sent him into the enemy's camp so he could plunder back his confidence. Something stole his confidence and God said, go get it from your enemy that belongs to you. And he took back his confidence. He stood up. He put his shoulders back. They're afraid of me. The devil is afraid of me. I am a force on the earth, not because I'm the best in my tribe. He's the barley guy. The devil was afraid of a barley loaf rolling into the camp and turning it upside down. It wasn't because he was the most trained for war. He had not been groomed for this. They were afraid of one man who God had chosen to put on like a glove. Go get your confidence from the enemy's camp. You are the woman. You are the man who God has destined for this hour of human history to put on like a glove. And, you know, we see with Jehoshaphat, they were going up to the battle. And the only reason they went into the enemy's camp was so that they could come out with basketfuls and basketfuls of plunder. And they left with more than they could carry. And everything that's been stolen in this hour of human history is yours to take back. Jesus will never be the orchestrator of loss. He came to give us life and life abundantly. And on the earth, when there is injustice, you do not find him there because he's the orchestrator. You find him there because he's passing out baskets. Baby, get your cup ready. It's about to run over. Get the fine china out. This is what Dave and Tracy are doing here this morning. They're tormenting the devil. They're just sitting here, smiling, new beards. That's what he does. And this is what Steve was pointing to. You know, in 
Jesus, the Bible says he went down into hell and he stole back the keys of the kingdom. This is only engagement. Only engagement with darkness. This is what David knew before his time in Psalm 139. Even if I go down to the pit of Sheol, the only reason I'm there is I'm going to find you. I'm going to find you holding what I didn't know I lost. I'm going to find you holding the keys that I didn't know were stolen from my family line, that I didn't know were my inheritance. So wherever you see the fingerprints of the devil in this season of your life, keep track. Pull it close to your heart. Because Isaiah said, he, he is coming with his retribution in his hand. And eternity is the greatest revenge. So having our hearts see that that's totally Bill Johnson. Sometimes he flies out of my mouth and I've been sitting under, under his teaching for so long. I get super stressed out when people quote me and it's Bill Johnson. But he also has experiences where people quote him and it's actually Jesus Christ. So that takes a lot of pressure off. I'm like, no, Jesus Christ said that, so we're fine. We get it mixed up sometimes. <laughs> so the, the most responsible thing we can do with our life is move the whole thing to heaven right now. How much of heaven can I live in inside of my heart? Because when your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. So I just, I just wanted to read this passage over us this morning because I, I want us to remember who's towering over our life in this season. And I want us to behold him. I was in the spirit realm on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice sounding like a trumpet saying to me, Write it in a book what you see. When I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. And walking among the lampstands, I saw someone like a son of man. He was wearing a full-length robe with a golden sash over his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, white as glistening snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were gleaming like bright metal, as though they were glowing in a fire. And his voice was like the roar of many rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. And his face was shining like the brightness of the blinding sun. When I saw him, I fell down at his feet as good as dead. But he laid his right hand on me. And I heard his reassuring voice saying, Don't yield to fear. I am the beginning and I am the end, the living one. I was dead, but now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys that unlock death and the unseen world.
Let's just stand and pray this morning. So we just, we just say this morning, Jesus, we're beholding you. That as we gather as your people, you are the main event. You are the center on which our life spins. And even like Dan was exhorting us last week, we lift up our head because the king is here. The king in all of his victory is here, towering over every impossibility as the winner, as the victor. And so we just honor you in this place this morning, Jesus. We honor you with the whole of our life. And I just, I thank you for the word that Blake brought us last week. I just want to thank you for his generosity in saying what you're saying. And we just bring our little life this little golden arrow and we lay it at your feet and I just pray your own prayer this morning of saying, Jesus, I want my arrow to be clean. You know, in the, in the vision Blake had, an angel handed him his arrows back, these beautiful golden arrows and said, your arrows are dirty. You can try again next time. And you know, all week, Jesus, I just thank you for the way you've been talking to me about the dirt on my arrows. It just makes me feel so loved, so cared for. And I thank you that you have your eye on the parts of us that haven't been touched by the gospel. That you have your eye on the parts of us that thought our destiny was to be dirty. The parts of us that we didn't know we were worth your forgiveness. We didn't know you wanted to redeem all of us. So we're just committing this morning. We don't take your words Lightly, we want to become them. We want to be the message a hurting world can read and see a clean Jesus and see a gospel that, it, that is pure in motive. So I thank you, Jesus, that you're the one that picks us up out of the dirt with a smile on your face and says, there's enough for you. And you flood us with a forgiveness that washes us new. And so as your people, we say, it's more important to us to become the gospel than to be able to articulate it. It's more important to us that we embody you than know the right answer. 
and that we want to be such good soil that when you speak to us, we become your very words. And so I just, I just thank you this morning, Jesus, that you're, you alone keep me clean, that you alone keep us clean. And we delight to surrender to your ways. It's the greatest joy of our life to be the tree that you tend to, that you prune us when we need it. Your, your mercy washes us every morning. You're our king. You're our Lord. You're our father. You're the reason we exist. I love you. Let's just sing this one song together before we dive into our passage this morning. Lord, I give you my heart, give you my soul, I live for you, my Lord, every breath that I take, every moment I'm Amen. Okay, you can be seated. Beautiful. We're going to open to John chapter 2. And, you know, we're going to read about the very first miracle of Jesus. That feels like a pretty big deal. He'd been hanging out on planet Earth for 30 years. And this was the moment that plunged him in to his ministry season. So let's just look at him together. So John chapter 2, verse 1. Now on the third day, there was a wedding feast in the Galilean village of Cana. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were all invited to the banquet. But with so many guests in attendance, they ran out of wine. And when Mary realized it, she came to him and asked, they have no wine. Can't you do something about it? Jesus replied, my dear one, don't you understand that if I do this, it won't change anything for you, but it will change everything for me. My hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. Mary then went to the servers and told them, whatever Jesus tells you, 
make sure that you do it. Let's just stop there for a second. And I just love to be astonished by Jesus when I read through the Gospels. Because have, have you ever known anyone like him? We have the people we hold closest to our heart have attributes of his nature that we say, ah, oh, you remind me so much of Jesus, right? My closest friends, I find myself saying that over and over. Ah, oh, you feel just like Jesus in this area. Uh, and he astonishes me in that he allowed his mother to shift his season. And I'm like, wow. Proverbs 21 says, the heart of a king is like water in the hand of the Lord, and he can change it any way he wants. And something was happening inside of Jesus for 30 years. You know, his relationship with the father didn't start when he was 30. He didn't suddenly start hearing from the father when he was 30. We know this um, because he, like the only story from his childhood was when he, he was in the father's house wanting to be where the father was. And so we know that he had devoted 30 years to oneness with the father, to oneness that there is no season that's wasted when our absolute goal is oneness with the Father, is oneness with what he is saying, what he is doing, what he is thinking, what he is feeling. And in this moment, he said with absolute confidence, it's not my time. And in that moment, we know it wasn't his time. And for 30 years, we have to imagine that he was looking for the time. He was looking for the moment that the father would say, it's time, son. It's time, son. And if I was Jesus, I would be looking for a little more magical moment than this. If, if you know, because the father has spoken into your identity and you are passing by sick people, at least publicly, Maybe private, he had a little stuff going on, but who knows? That part's left out. I have so many questions when I get to heaven. Coffee, first 30 years, go. <laughs> Knowing I'm becoming the answer for you. Hang on. How many lepers did he walk by with lost limbs, outcasts, drenched in shame? And he had to hold on to a father who is perfectly good. I'm coming for you. Be patient. Be patient. I'm making a way for you to have access to perfect love. How many prostitutes did he watch get stoned? How much self-control did he have to exude to have one ambition. I say what the Father is saying. I do what the Father is doing. And true freedom in the gospel. Justin and I were just listening to this beautiful message by John Mark Comer about true freedom in the kingdom is I have a choice to do what the Father is doing. 
I've limited all my options to this one thing. I live the narrow way. I have all these permissions, right? Paul said. And I've used my freedom for this one thing. I'll say what he's saying. I'll do what he's doing. I'll point my life to oneness with him. There is no plan B. And how, how tuned he had become in his listening ear, moment by moment, that one moment the father was saying, son, it's not your time. And the next moment, Mary says, listen to whatever he says. Mary, Mary was echoing Steve. Here, listen, run and obey. That's solid advice. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. That's very biblical. The mother of Jesus. Um, and the very next moment, he had tuned his ear enough to the father to know my mother's faith just changed my season. And he was like water in the hand of the Lord. He could change directions without any clenching to his own agenda, without any clenching to his own timeline. He had become so surrendered. My purpose is one with your purpose, Papa. Whatever you want this to look like, that's what I want. Let your craving be my craving. And this is what Romans 8 says. The mature children of God are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. The true mature sons and daughters of God, shoulders up, chest out, head lifted high. Maturity looks like my agenda is no longer in this equation. My ego is no longer making choices unconsciously for me. I'm moved by the impulses, the cravings of the Holy Spirit. I am royalty. And that means I'm like water in the hand of the Lord. And moment by moment, Jesus had developed such a history with his father that he was able to surrender the father coming through his mother. And you got to understand, he knew the humanity of his mother. Nobody knows our humanity like our children. She was not God. She was 100% human. She was born from a man and a woman. The only way to make a baby. And he, he knew her deficits. And yet look at the humility in this son that he honored the faith of her, his human mother and recognized the father is speaking through my mother. And to truly be Christ-like, we cannot be offended in him. He, he hides things for the humble, Bill Johnson says. That means, you know, there was this season of my life where I felt like the Lord told me to go incognito to this little tiny Baptist Bible study. 
<laughs> I love old church Baptist coffee. And um, to, I didn't know there was parts of me that like became arrogant. Like I've, oh, I've grown up and out of this. I have so much I can teach you because I'm like in the river now. <laughs> and, and the Lord, he saw the dirt on my arrow. You're going to commit to this every Monday night at six o'clock and have fun with that. <laughs> and I had, I had things I needed to learn. I needed to have a listening ear with people I didn't agree with on every point of theology. And do we only have routes that we're very comfortable with that we can hear the Father? Or does it have to be super magical for you to put weight on what he's saying? Can it be a random checker in Publix that says something to you and the Father's looking if you will honor her in the same way you would honor Jesus himself speaking to you. When someone speaks to you and you know where their integrity is, you know the choices they're making in private and the father speaks through them in a moment, are we too arrogant to not be offended that he would speak through a donkey? He would do that. And Jesus, the Messiah, this was a profound moment in his story. He's coming into the unveiling of who he was on the earth and what he would accomplish. And the father changed his season through the faith of his mother. I don't know how his family of origin wounds went, but this is a big deal. I don't know what my kids are going to have to work through in a while. <laughs> There'll be stuff, though. I'm sure. I know. <laughs> uh, Jesus is, the, the Father is moved by our faith. This has got to be a part of the scenario. He's moved by the demand you put on your inheritance. He wasn't moved by the need for wine. He was moved by the demand Mary put on who she knew Jesus was. And, you know, we can look at this passage literally. And we can also look at this passage prophetically. And both give us nourishment. And prophetically, we ask ourselves, well, where am I in the story? And where we are in the story is right here. There were six stone water pots standing nearby. They were meant to be used for the Jewish washing rituals. Each one held about 20 gallons or more. You're the water pot in this story because you're the vessel. You've been destined to carry presence to carry the Godhead into the earth. And you know, this story, when you look into the commentaries has layers of cultural relevance because running out of wine was a huge shame. 
Like this would have followed this young couple for the whole of their life because wine in Jewish culture symbolized joy. So it's like saying, you're not happy that you're getting married. There isn't enough joy. There isn't enough wine to celebrate your bliss. And it would have been a stigma that would have followed them the whole of their story. And when we look at the story prophetically, we can see Jesus unveiling, I'm the bridegroom. I didn't come as first a, a, a brilliant general gathering an army. I didn't come just as a teacher who's gonna give you profound insight into truth. I've come as a bridegroom. And I've come looking to let my bride know I'm happy about you. I'm happy you're here. And it's the joy of the Lord that heals the emptiness that's happening in the world right now. And, you know, when you study like child psychology, uh, when you get to the bottom of our basic need that we needed from our primary caregivers, it was, I needed to feel that I am the spark in your eyes. I needed to feel when I walked in the room, you're happy I'm here. You're happy I exist. And the, the delight of the Lord, the joy of the Lord affirms in us, you're on purpose. You are on purpose. And you know, when we, when we find ourselves as the empty water pots sitting on the sidelines of what Jesus is doing, it's time to address the emptiness. This is a daily experience for me, addressing the emptiness, because I had no idea how full he wants us to be. And to truly serve a world that is empty, the first thing Jesus said was fill the water pots to the brim. Fill them to the brim. And you know, in everything in the kingdom is about overflow. So his first place of healing the world around you is filling you, is filling you full to overflowing. I've come to give them life and give it to them in, in abundance. And, um, you know, the way that we fill the water pots, because he said, fill the water pots with water. And when we look prophetically throughout scripture, the Holy Spirit is represented by water and wine and oil. So we can interpret this passage as fill yourself up with the Holy Spirit. Fill, fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. Where are the parts of you that are sitting on the sidelines empty, meant to be used by religion? Where are the parts of you that have decided you're the one at the party waiting for somebody to tap into an outpouring? Where are the parts of you that have decided you're too insignificant to be the one that's hosting the outpouring? 
Where are the parts of you that decided you aren't worth being the water part, the water part, the, the, the vessel of glory that actually hosts the move of God? That, you know, the, the cross is the place that we go to heal the emptiness of our insignificance. And sometimes when we feel empty, what we crave is a prophetic word. Well, just tell me what I'm going to do in the future. Prophesy that all this water is going to turn into wine that heals a generation. Say I'm going to preach to millions and millions of people. I'm going to see the dead raised. I'm going to see lepers grow limbs back. Prophesy all that stuff to soothe the insignificance in my heart that I feel like an empty used water pot. Who you're going to be in the future can never heal who you are right now. The only thing that heals insignificance, that diminishes your place in this hour of history, is the blood of the Lamb. It's the blood of Jesus. And, you know, this is, this is what it says in Romans about vessels of glory. And doesn't he have the right to release the revelation of the wealth of his glory to vessels of mercy, whom God prepared beforehand to receive his glory? Even for us, whether we are Jews or non-Jews, we are those he has called to experience his glory. Remember the prophecy he gave in Hosea. To those who were rejected and not my people, I will say to them, you are mine. And to those who were unloved, I will say, you are my darling. And in the place where they were told you are a nobody, this will be the very place where they will be renamed children of the living God. So addressing the emptiness you feel in your soul is finding Jesus waiting at the parts of you that learned you were a nobody. The parts of you that, that uh, make you feel like you are disqualified for some reason to be filled with presence. And, you know, I'll just close with this. And we, we, the good thing is the Bible has the end of the story. Becomes wine. Best news is at the end. <laughs> uh, is Jesus, Jesus didn't get down in the dirt with us and begin to say the opposite of, hey, you're not a nobody. Get up. Let's go change the world together. What Isaiah says is that he became a nobody with you. And he scooped up all the parts of you. You know, when I was 16 years old, I remember laying on the floor holding a bottle of pills in my hand because I, I wanted to be done with the pain of how worthless I felt. And it, it, I could not see a speck of hope in my future. 
And, and the way Jesus heals worthlessness, the way that he heals these places of insignificance is he scoops up the lifeless, empty parts of us and he takes us to a cross. He says, why don't you come, come crawl up here with me for a little while? And he lets us feel his suffering. And they walked by and they spit on him. And he lets us feel how he took our shame and the people he loved demolished him. And he gives us a space to bury all of our shame inside of his bloody neck and our blood, what murdered you, what the enemy stole and buried in the tomb. Jesus, he says, hey baby, I became a nobody with you. I choose you. Come, come bring all your emptiness and let's become one in my suffering. And the way we know we're beginning to embody the cross is how we treat the parts of us that feel empty and insignificant. You know, a few months ago, one of my daughters asked me, mom, if you could go back and talk to your younger self and say something, what would you say? And I said, I would say, I love you. I love you. Just as you are, I love you. Because we're looking to become one with the sound of the Father. And the first place we have to be filled with the sound of the Father is in our own water pot. And he sounds like, you were rejected on the sideline an empty used water pot. I choose you. I want you. I love you. And it's only when we're full, we're full of that redemption that we begin to see when we pour out, the water becomes wine. The water becomes wine. And you know, those servers, this is why I love our ministry school. If everybody just wants to stand up, is because we're a bunch of pitchers learning to live full to the brim. And we're looking at each other like, I'm still water, are you still water? Cause this is definitely water, but I'm really full. I mean, it's like gushing out, but we're about to pour this into the goblet of this really important person. And I'm very sure I'm still water. And he's very much looking for wine. And you surround yourself with a company of people or who are crazy enough to do it just because Jesus said. And what actually turns the water into wine is nothing magical about the goblet. It's nothing magical about the water pot. It's the words of Jesus. It's being surrendered enough to the words of Jesus that that's all he said so, so it's going to happen. I don't know what it's gonna look like. I thought, I thought we could test it before we took it to the guy, but apparently he just wants us to give it to the guy. Are you just gonna give it to the guy? Cause I'm just gonna give it to the guy. We're gonna give it to the guy. And this is our destiny on the earth that when we pour it out, heaven touches the earth. 
the joy of Jesus that looks into your face and says, I always wanted you. I always wanted you. I always chose you. And it becomes a wine that heals, heals a hurting, hurting world. So when you find yourself waiting for an outpouring, the better question is who you were meant to be before Jesus is a lot different than who you're meant to be with Jesus. You are the outpouring. You, not some super special magical person, simple barley loaf, you. So we sign up for it, Jesus. We sign up for it. We say we'll be, we'll be like water in the hands of the Lord. If you feel like you need to respond, I just want to welcome you to come up to the altar. I want to welcome you just to make a stance in your own life, whatever it looks like. It's, it's personal. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is personal. And in this hour of history, you're not destined to get full from someone else's picture. You're destined to be full from the source to be full from the source. I'm carrying the wine of his presence. And so we just say, yes, Jesus. We, we dedicate our lives to tuning to the sound of your voice moment by moment, moment by moment, step by step, no matter our season, no matter our age, no matter our story, we're alive to be a water pot that's full, filled to the brim, overflowing. And so we just welcome you. We welcome you to take us to every empty place and keep us there until it's full to the brim. And that we just say, we'll be the crazy people that will pour out water and watch it become wine. And you know, at the end of this story, the master of the ceremony said, everybody else pours the best wine first, but you've saved the best wine till now. And it was a prophecy that in Christ, your best days will always be ahead of you. The richest, most wine-filled days will always be ahead of you. Your sweetest times with the Lord will never be behind you. And so we just thank you, Jesus, that you are releasing an outpouring and it's coming from every single person that is in your kingdom, that we are all learning to house the living God as vessels of glory. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just close with this song one more time. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take. Every moment I Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, 
visit www.bethelatlanta.com.